here, which is uh, really the idea of building out things with the mindset of reliability. And I, I think that's a really important topic is to think about not just, you know, you know, creating the original idea, which is a lot of what data science and machine learning is, but actually how do you make it reliable? And I've actually spent pretty much my entire adult life solving that that problem. And so, so I have some opinions about it. Maybe some of them are good. Uh, and, and really to start off with, uh, let me talk a little bit about my background here, which I think would help a little bit is that uh, I've been working in the film and TV industry for a lot of the early part of my life when I was a teenager. My dad had a, a television production company and I got to see the evolution of technology in that industry, you know, going from physical hardware to to virtual. Uh, and you would see this a lot with the way that people would have to constantly learn the new techniques. And that's when I got really involved with thinking about automation. And then later after I graduated from college, when I was in Los Angeles, I worked in uh, Disney's first 3D animated pipeline. So this was when they were competing with Pixar and they were really kind of trying to, to figure out who's going to build these three 3D animated pipelines. And one of the, the, this was, I think in 2004 or so. And so what was really interesting about this is that film, especially the early days was a heavy user of Python and what what did we do every day? Well, we, we just automated things. That, that's literally all you do in, in the film industry. I, I think a lot of people think about it's a glamorous industry and, and there's some fun things about it. But but really, if you're a software engineer, you just automate everything every day. Every day you just build stuff that makes things quicker and and, and more efficient. And that mindset is actually identical to what we need today with with MLOps. So I, I feel like that experience really was helpful. Uh, and one of the things that I did, you know, in the last, let's say, 15, 20 years was was write about it. And so about 15 years ago, I'll just hold this up. I wrote this book for O'Reilly called uh, Python for Unix and Linux Systems Administration. Uh, and the idea in the book was to essentially, uh, you know, figure out how to automate things. Right. And that, that was the essence of the book. And then a little bit later, as I as I moved around the world and went to different places and then came back to the Bay Area, I, I helped to build a, a social media company. This was 2013. So I was a little bit early because it seems like everybody's interested in social media now. And, and we, had, we, we did some really interesting things. And one of the, the things that we did that was interesting was used MLOps to, to drive uh, basically user growth. So we, we bought no advertising uh, and we were able to figure out the influencers by you know, creating MLOps pipelines, using that predictive model to then choose who to partner with. And then we paid essentially influencers or influencer marketing to actually grow our platform. And so I wrote about some of those experiences in the next book, which is um, Pragmatic uh, AI. And so this was really, uh, I think, the start of me writing about, uh, you know, MLOps and, and, and covering those kinds of topics. And then uh, after that, I decided to to leave the startup world and and get more into consulting and teaching, and that's where, what I've been doing since about uh, 2016. Uh, I, I've been focused on that, 
and a lot of the the focus is around you know operationalizing thing and and I and I wrote a couple more books for, for O'Reilly so one of them was uh, this one which is uh, Python for DevOps uh, and so that's again automation right how do how do you build things that are that are automated especially in terms of cloud computing and then after that I wrote another book for O'Reilly which is uh, Practical MLOps which which really I think does cover some of the things that that people are talking about quite a bit now and, and it's a very simple book in my opinion like really high level concepts nothing too tricky and then recently i wrote one more book for o'reilly which is the the the, the c-sharp book with for aws so i thought i would just cover that so that people had a little bit of perspective of of you know where i'm coming from why am i saying these things uh, and then i'm currently writing another book on implementing MLOps. So I've been really thinking about MLOps quite a bit for, for the last, let's say, 15 or, or 20 years. So here's here's some of the things that I've that I've found. And, and one of them is this concept of uh, preemptive risk discovery. And this is why it's important to think about automation from the very beginning when you're building something or you're building a machine learning model. And, and what I mean by this is that if anything in an organization is not automated, then there is risk. And that's there, there's no uh, ambiguity about that. And when I was in the Bay Area, a lot of the, the kinds of problems that I was put into, you know, there was a company that had a problem with shipping software for a year, or there was a product that couldn't launch, et cetera, et cetera. At the root of every single one of those problems was a lack of automation. Similarly, if there are problems with quality control in a company, if you look at the very the root of that, it's going to be uh, lack of instrumentation, lack of monitoring. I think for data scientists, fortunately, it should be pretty easy to explain to people how important it is to look at data, right? Like if, 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 if you can't convince a data scientist it's important to look at data, then all hope is lost. But it, it may be a little more difficult to talk to software engineers about it. But for data scientists, the, the way to think about this is that you must use data science as well for the thing you put into production. If you if you don't know what's happening in production, how can you possibly fix it, right? And this is a really core problem uh, that must be solved. And then quality control. And, and this is a, a very interesting one too, because if you think about data, a lot of times people are, are very concerned about, you know, bias and, you know, uh, you know, bad problems and null, null values and corrupt data and all these other issues that come up. But the same goes with software, right? Software is actually just data. And so you look at the code, if you don't have automated quality control systems to verify that the syntax is correct or that the business logic is correct, you're going to have risk. And, and so this is one of the, the key problems that a continuous integration system will solve. Unfortunately, it, it's actually very straightforward to do this. If you, if you add automated quality control, you're going to reduce the risk in your organization. And it's trivial and it saves time. Another one I think that is, that is I don't know if it's talked about enough, but I, I have deep concerns about this because I am in academics right now. So I work at, at Duke and I, and I teach uh, machine learning operations. I teach cloud computing. I teach data engineering. I've taught at lots of other universities, but I also am more of a practitioner. I would say I, I'm an accidental academic. And I think the academic tool chain is extremely dangerous, extremely dangerous. And I, the reason why I think it's extremely dangerous isn't that the people that are building it are, are, are not smart. Of course they are. They're, they're brilliant people. But it's that the, the, the platform that they're building in or the ecosystem that they're building in 
is designed to be fragile, is designed to be uh, really experimentative. But when you think about production, you want the opposite of that. You want rigidity, you want immutability. And so I think it's very important to be careful about choosing tools or platforms or solutions that are 100% focused on reproducing the academic tool chain because it may not be appropriate for an organization that is trying to solve a business problem. So this gets me to the next point, which is that if you don't do DevOps, you don't do MLOps, right? It's that simple. And, and, and in a sense, it is nice to have simple rules for things because when you have simple rules for things, then it makes it easier to understand what's happening. And, and this is where I think I find sometimes uh, a little bit shocking if somebody's talking about MLOps and you know they're, they're talking about all the different things they wanna do with data science to make it better. I think the very first question any organization should do is, is ask, do you do DevOps? So if, you, if the answer is no, how could you possibly do MLOps if you're not doing DevOps? And, and I'll get into some of the things about DevOps uh, really, really briefly. So what is DevOps? In, in, a, in a nutshell, DevOps is automation. So it means that you can automatically deploy your software to production. If you want to read more about it, obviously I have some, some books on O'Reilly, you can read about it. But basically, you know, if you, if you have full automation, you have continuous integration systems, you have infrastructure as code, you're using the, you know, the best practices, then, then you're doing DevOps. If you're not doing that, there's deep trouble that you must first fix. So let's assume that you've, you've done it and now you've fixed it. Those same things that you've learned in, in terms of automation, now you should apply to the, the other parts of the pipeline. So also with data automation, you must go through and make sure that the data pipeline is automated. If it's manual, then you're gonna have the, all of the same problems of why people don't want manual software engineering practices. Humans are unreliable, humans introduce errors, et cetera, et cetera. So you want full data automation. Likewise, platform automation, it's really probably uh, not going to work out well for an organization to build their own platform. There are obvious uh, exceptions and those really reinforce the rule. Like if you're a huge organization that specializes in, in, in uh, MLOps, maybe you can make the case to build a platform, but in general, you should pick something. Doesn't I'm not gonna tell you which platform to pick, but you should pick something where there's a vendor that has actually spent their time uh, building a system that is widely used so that your organization doesn't have to do that and you can focus on the business problems. Once, you've, once you have those three layers, then you can do MLOps. And I think this is a really important uh, you know, chart to, to, to show because I think it is the way forward for, for many organizations. Now, one other thing I'll, I'll mention about this is what I call the, the rule of 25. And what the rule of 25 means is that there is no silver bullet. Just like if you uh, go into data science land and you talk about you know, area under the curve or you know, the precision recall and, and, and the, the, the balance between those things, like there is no perfect way to describe an accuracy metric. Likewise, there's no perfect way to describe MLOps. There, there is no silver bullet. And I would say anytime you hear somebody talk about a silver bullet rule for anything, let alone something as complex as machine learning operations, you should have your guard up because there is there is no perfect answer, right? There's always a trade-off with, with complex systems. 
and I would say this is a better way to think about it instead of listening to some you know perfect silver bullet answer is that there's going to be trade-offs and you're going to have to spend 25% of your time doing DevOps. So you must have continuous integration, build system, infrastructure as code, microservices, containers, those kinds of things. You're going to have to spend 25% of your time with the data. You have to make sure that there's data automation. You know, there's 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 systems that are that are um, high-level systems that are reproducible that your your organization is trained on. And then, obviously, with uh, machine learning, you you must do modeling, right? You can't have ML ops if there's no models. So you have to have to have some time you spend on those models, and, and you have to make sure that they're they're accurate. And then I, I think the other part that isn't talked about quite enough is that you have to clearly define the problem that you're trying to solve. So if you haven't defined the problem correctly, even those other three categories are, are useless, right? So if, if, if the organization is trying to figure out how to classify, you know, between two categories, let's say, you know, uh, can I pick between, uh, you know, this machine, we, 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 we created a, let, let's say, a, um, a tractor and uh, a car, like I wanna, I wanna do some kind of image classification, and that's the problem that the business wants you to solve. But then you solved uh, like a regression problem that 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 does a numerical prediction that uh, forecasts the sales for the tractors. Well, it could be an amazing model that has absolutely nothing to do with what the business needs. So if you're building the wrong model and the wrong solution, then you haven't really applied the 25% to the business. And this is why it's so hard is that there, there all of these four things have to be in balance with each other in order to do ML ops. And so that br brings me to the next section, which is talking about monitoring. And my definition of monitoring is it's data science for a software system. And, and I think that's one of the best ways to describe it. And if you ask uh, a data scientist who's digging into the details of some problem, you know, what, what, what kind of thing do we care about with a problem? Well, I mean, typically, the more variety of data, the higher quality of the data, you know, these are good, right? Like if you're doing data science, you want this, you want more data, higher quality data. Likewise, if you're looking at a system, if you can have lots of different things you're measuring, the CPU, the disk IO, the latency, the model accuracy, the data drift, it's just gonna make it much, much more simple to diagnose the root cause if there is an issue in production. So. In some sense, you could make the argument that you could never have too much monitoring and instrumentation. That's an argument I think many uh, longtime uh, software engineers would, would probably attest to. And I would say the same thing for MLOPSs. You probably cannot go wrong with spending time making your system more, more able to be instrumented. I think it's a, a very good use of your time. Now, if we get into uh, a quality control system, I think this is an emerging category, and this speaks to what I was talking about, about the academic tool chain, is that in the academic tool chain, the, the thing that is the prestige in academics is writing research papers. And there's obviously, a, you know, an incredible service to society that is done by people, you know, collaborating on research. And so as a result, you know, there's a lot of conversations about reproducibility and that's what people use notebooks and those kinds of things. But that particular system isn't a direct mapping to a production software system. And a production software system, 
one of the things that's more important than some of those factors in research are that you're designing a system from the very beginning to be production first. So you have a production first mindset versus an academic first mindset. What that means is that ideally you could have the same environment that it'll be deployed in is what you're developing in. And that's why products like cloud-based development systems are really, I think, one of the secret weapons for MLOps. So can you use GitHub code spaces? Can you use you know, uh, AWS Cloud9? Can you use uh, Google Cloud Shell? Can you use Azure Cloud Shell? Can you use these cloud-based development environments and actually have a Docker file that has literally the same thing that will go into production that's amazing. Uh, likewise, access to GPUs wh while you're working can be really helpful, especially if they're on-demand GPUs, so you can really replicate the same environments. And I think another one that's emerging is that if, again, if you're a data scientist, we shouldn't need to convince you that uh, why wouldn't you use data to make decisions? Likewise, why wouldn't you use pre-trained models that can help you write code to, to, to build uh, production systems. And I think it's gonna to come to the point now where it's gonna be very difficult to justify not using some kind of AI coding assistant because it increases the quality of the, the code you write and it improves how quickly you can write code. I personally now have completely gone towards using uh, tools like uh, Copilot. And then finally, as I mentioned before, you know, continuous integration and deployment is from the very beginning, maybe one of the first things that you should set up. So these are these are fairly new emergent properties that we're seeing with MLOps. And I, I believe if you do adopt them all, you can dramatically change how quickly uh, you develop results. So let's talk a little bit about this concept of uh, reproducibility here with, uh, with code spaces. And in particular, with a cloud-based you know, development environment, what is really nice about it is that you're able to uh, build the different components, right? You can, you can build uh, you know, a container image and that exact image can be started from somebody else on your team and you can share it with everybody else. And, and that's a critical component to, to building out solutions. You also could develop uh, with uh, the, some kind of configuration that has the right plugins and the right software, you know, environments, and it could be tuned to the cloud or the, the data center that you're actually de developing towards. So you have this deep uh, integration. And then also the compute and storage can uh, withstand the needs of what you're doing for data science. So, so there are many reasons why it's superior to your laptop and your laptop or even your workstation can't compete with some of these things. They just are not really possible. And if you took the network alone, right, where if you're in a cloud-based environment, you're potentially on the same rack as the machine you're talking to. And so the speed is, is, is very fast versus if you're on your laptop, the speed to you know throw data back and forth between the cloud is just not feasible for many problems. So I do believe this is a secret weapon that many organizations should, should really seriously consider. And as I mentioned before, another secret weapon that we're seeing is that a AI coding assistant, and there's many companies that are, that are making them, not just GitHub, that I, I think it's dramatically improving the quality of code that you can write. So the idea is that just like with a data science problem, you have to ask the right question to start with, like what's my hypothesis? 
you have to ask the right questions to these pair programming tools. And you notice that the better you get at understanding how the tool will respond to your question, the, the better the result is gonna be for you to get it back. And one of the things that I've been doing quite a bit is I actually have uh, a tool that refactors my code once I get it from the AI assistant. So I basically ask the AI assistant, hey, you know, build out a PyTorch uh, system that pre-trains a model, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then what I do is I have a make file where I lint the code and I test the code and I, re and I, and I, and I basically format it. So it's constantly, I have my own analog tools, like old school tools that are combined with the new, the new tools and, and I, can, I can improve the quality before I even check it into the system. Then once I check it to the system, it itself also has all these quality control tools. So what we see here is that there's essentially these recursive techniques to improve the quality. So you have you know, an AI assistant that approves, you have also the local tools like linting uh, and formatting that improve, and then you have the build system which improves, and then when you put it to production, you improve. And so the more you can combine these recursive tools to help you build software uh, more reliably, the better the results are gonna be you know, down downstream. And one way to, to really call this out would be to call this Kaizen, right, or continuous improvement. So every single both main component and then subcomponent needs to have continuous improvement. So let's talk a little bit about a tool like GitHub Actions, which I think is one of the better tools out on the market. If you're doing data science or doing uh, ML ops, I, I strongly believe that a code space plus a GitHub Action and using a make file where you have steps clearly defined, like a make, make install, a make test, a make deploy, and you can replicate that in your code space, which should be identical to what production is because you're using a Docker file that has the exact same components. You can then push this into your Git repo. It triggers GitHub Actions, which then could maybe build a container, push that container image into a container registry like Amazon ECR, and that container is immutable, and it's identical to what you just did locally. That container could then trigger a deploy. And what we're seeing as well with a lot of cloud-based systems is that as long as you have a container that has all of the components necessary, most deployments now will actually slurp in that container image and deploy it into production. So one example would be App Runner deploying a fast API service. We also have AWS Lambda that can slurp in containers. We have Google has a, uh, the ability to slurp in a container one-liner that deploys into production. So if you start again with a production mindset and you have a Docker container, you've saved all this work because the system that is in the cloud can just take the container and deploy it to an environment. So I think this is also a very good secret weapon to have is to think about if your in target is a container, you can deploy with that containerized environment and have a very simple workflow to deploy your, your model into production. And, you know, I'll just talk a little bit about this because this is uh, kind of a hot topic for me, for me lately is this concept of the academic data science tool chain. So obviously academics need, you know, tools to help them do their job. On the flip side, I, I think there are going to be the trade-offs, right? And so we can see the same kinds of problems as if you over-optimize towards one thing, you're, you're taking away something from some something else. And, and I think notebooks are a very interesting one, and I'll give you a little bit of background 
about notebooks from my perspective is that I've been using notebooks uh, in the notebook technology literally probably the week they came out. So I, I've been using IPython, which is the precursor to Jupyter Notebook, you know, back in 2006 or five, whenever it came out. And I'm a huge fan of it. And I still use it quite a bit in terms of doing software engineering. One of the problems though with a notebook is that it really is not designed for, for production software deployment, right? It's designed for experimentation and reproducible experimentation. A production system by definition needs to be immutable and so i think one of the things that we're seeing here is that many tools are now starting to to attempt to address the notebook issue and i i think we're going to get to a place where the majority of people that are doing mlops will not start off with a notebook i think instead what a notebook will be is it'll be a complementary tool Right, so people will need to explain their model, maybe, or, or do something with it, or, or explain some part of the data science problem. Great, yeah, let's use the notebook. But to start with a notebook, I think is a very bad idea. And, and, I, I, and I think we're not seeing that yet. That's my opinion though. I think we're gonna start to see there's some pushback. The other one that I'm, that I'm not a fan of is God tools. And what, what is a God tool? So a God tool is something that basically, it does everything. Right, like it, it, it takes it over. It takes over your entire environment and solves every single problem. Uh, I, I think these can make a lot of sense in academics, right? So, like people can need, you know, to have. Let's say you have a very expensive GPU. Uh, well, sure, why not have a God tool, right? Because because you, how many how many expensive GPUs can you distribute to everybody in your your university? But in a sense, a God tool is really a a way of building software that assumes you have the equivalent of like a mainframe computer. But in the future, I don't think we, we want as much of a reliance on a God tool. We want extremely simple systems that barely use anything. And, and so I would say one of the advantages of a tool like Docker is this decomposable, right? And so I would say in a, as a, the opposite of a God tool would be something like Docker. You look at a Docker file, it historically has lots and lots and lots of different things that you can pull back from and you can pull out pieces that, that you want. Another one I would say is a voodoo tool as well, which is that also I see this a lot in academics is that if there's a tool that doesn't have uh, uh, reproducibility or item potence associated with it, so essentially it's non-deterministic, that could be amazing for whatever it is that someone's doing, if there's some special flags, you know, just like the, 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 the mad scientist, right? In, in, if you're a data scientist, you know, you, you, you know the picture of a mad scientist, you know, their hair is like, you know, on fire and they're doing beakers. You don't want that. You don't want that for, 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 for production. You want simple, simple tools. So the more simple, the more deterministic it is. Again, I think a Docker file is a, a good example of that that you're gonna have a better uh, chance at success. And so really to summarize everything together, this means production first mindset. And I think the tools that I would recommend that really help you do that would be containers, cloud-based development environments, and CI, CD. If you use these three things, you're not gonna go wrong.